Welcome to the podcast of Unity Fort Worth. In it, you'll hear this week's message and meditation. If you'd like to hear and see the complete service, you can always find it at unityfortworth.org or on the Unity Fort Worth Facebook page. Unity Fort Worth focuses on positive and practical Christianity with a willingness to explore the entire world of religion and spiritual thought. Unity Fort Worth streams live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Thanks for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. So today, I'm going to address the last question that was left over from Stump the Ministers or Stump the Minister. I'm only one. I look like two, but I'm only one. Um, and, uh, and this question came from Adrienne, and it's deceivingly a simple question. What is the difference between one's soul and one's spirit? Think for a moment what you believe the difference is. Is there one? Is there not? So we can start, you know, the answer is pretty simple. It depends. <laughs> right? It depends on your belief, your religion, spirituality that you follow, because there's different ways of looking at both soul and spirit. So let's have a look. Let's have a look at soul first. And before I go into some of the technical aspects of the soul, I want to share a little story, a story I was told probably almost 30 years ago when um, Elaine and I were studying in the ashram. Um, I can't really remember all the details of the story, but it stuck with me for one reason I wanted to share it with you. The story goes that somewhere in Arizona there's a monastery. This is the St. Anthony Greek Orthodox Monastery. And it's somewhere in between Tucson and Phoenix, out a little bit in the country close to Florence, Arizona. And there was once a father and a daughter, maybe four, five, six years old, who took a trip out to that monastery. The father went there because he visited there before, and it was very meaningful to him. The energy, everything about it just felt home. And he wanted his daughter, who now was old enough to kind of like start grasping some of those ideas that there is more than just the flesh. He wanted her to experience that. And the fascinating thing is he, he left the mom at home and the siblings, he just wanted his daughter, he didn't even understand why, to go there. For him, it was just sharing that experience that he had with her. But what ended up having is as the daughter entered through the gates, she started walking around the entire place as if she knew what it was. She walked around and started pointing to her dad. Oh, yeah, this is where we used to eat. This is where I would sleep. This is where I would sit in meditation. This is where I would meditate with my friends. And he start, she started 
carrying or walking with her dad around the entire place and explaining her dad as if it was, right then and there, her experience of having been there. Her dad obviously then picked this up as some form of a memory from a past life. He couldn't even make out, was she a woman or was she a man or how did she identify? But the fascinating thing was that it was very obvious to her and to him that she already experienced this place. So obviously fascinated by this entire experience, they would go through the entire place, spend probably a lot more than the dad anticipated, went home. And kind of the dad forgot about this experience within a few months or so. And about a year or so later, as the dad was talking to his daughter, the daughter asked him, Dad, do you remember when we went to this monastery? About a year ago or so? He said, yeah, of course. I clearly remember that. He said, do you remember what I said? What I shared with you? He said, yeah. I mean, I, I still remember it as if it was today. And then she said, could you please tell me? Because I keep, I start to forget. I always like this story because it tells me two things. One is we have an incredible ability within us to connect. Whether it's with a story that may or may not have happened lifetimes ago, or something that just comes up for us that's very meaningful. And the other thing that it tells me is that we may also forget and get down the path of disconnecting more and more with some of those incredible experiences. But certainly for us back then, when I heard that story, it had a lot to do with the soul, where the soul remembers over many, many, many years. Now, some of you may believe in the reincarnation of the soul, or some of you may not. What matters is the meaningfulness that we put to those stories and the experiences that we have in life and how we apply that in life. Because the soul is so much more than just a human experience, isn't it? The soul can give us insight into an expanded way of being. And we don't really have to get more complicated than that. And because it's simple, let me make it a little bit more complicated. So these are the five major religions in the world. Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism. Not in order, just so it makes sense what I was going to share. And Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, they all share that Abrahamic tradition. They're called or considered Abrahamic religions because they all come out of the Abrahamic tradition and the story of Abraham. And when we look at those Abraham, Abrahamic religions, then we can say that they all agree that God created souls. 
They did not exist before God created them. They also agree that there is a mortal body and an immortal soul. That actually was defined by Plato. Plato was one who defined that, that we must have a mortal body that we pick up and let go, and we must have an immortal soul that moves on. So all of those three religions pretty much agree on that. And, oh, I used the uh, British spelling of fetus, so forgive me for that. So the soul is present within the fetus. That's also what all these religions agree on. Where they kind of waver is, even within Christianity, when does the soul enter into the fetus? Some say at conception, others say much later. In Islam, usually it's about considered about 120 days into the pregnancy. And the, Jew, the Jews uh, love them for that. They say, we just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Jewish tradition is beautiful on that. They go, heaven and hell? Yeah, could be, but maybe. And, you know, soul? Yeah, sure, but when? I don't know, you know? <laughs> You've got to love them for that. And then when it comes to death, again, Christianity and Islam is pretty clear that the soul separates. And the Jews, again, hmm, maybe. <laughs> and not very clear how. And finally, all three religions agree on that the soul lives forever. Now let's move a little bit more east, Buddhism and Hinduism. Both religions agree that the souls, that souls always existed. There is no beginning and no end. God did not create the souls. They always existed and will always exist with one little thing that the Buddhists do, which I can't get to in a minute. So that's very different, right? In the Abrahamic tradition, soul didn't exist until God created it, created them. In Hindu and Buddhism, souls always existed. Also, soul, a soul reincarnates into different physical forms. You probably heard that before. Uh, human beings, if you're lucky, if you haven't been really uh, done really well throughout a lifetime, next time you may be a little um, insect or uh, something else. So it's possible in the Eastern traditions, not so much in the Abrahamic traditions, in the Eastern traditions that actually your soul goes into a different physical form. In Christianity, it's usually just a human being. And so in um, Islam, usually, and I'm pretty sure the Jews will say, well, we're not, we're not that sure about this. And then in Hinduism, that's where they split, Hinduism, Buddhism. Hinduism, like the Christianity, like Judaism, and like Islam, says soul is eternal. Buddhism says something different. In Buddhism, once the cycle of birth and rebirth is done, once the suffering ends and the soul enters nirvana, 
it will be extinguished. It's the karmic flame that the Buddhists consider rather than the soul, and it will just extinguish into the nothingness or the allness of being. So it's quite different, isn't it? And also, let me remind you, these are just five major religions. I'm talking about very mainstream ways of looking at it. I'm sure that if you look at the very specifics of a denomination, Christianity, there may be variations. So in Judaism, so in Islam, there's difference in Orthodox Judaism and modern, uh, more contemporary one, and so on. So just keep this all in mind. So where does unity fit in, then, you might wonder. So where do you think? Everywhere, okay, that's just an easy way out of, <laughs> right? <clears throat> where, where does it fit in? What do you think? Christianity, Hinduism, along that spectrum, where do you think it goes? In the middle, sacred space, it's another easy way out, right? So let's be specific. Closer to Christianity, closer to Hinduism, after hearing all this and after, after having been in unity for a while, what do you think? Closer to Hinduism, I've heard, what? Yeah, close, close. Hmm? That's also another way to get out of the questions. So. <laughs> Okay, all right, let's see. And this is just, again, everyone's interpretation. Somewhere along, unity belongs somewhere in the middle, in between of them. Why? Because in unity, we have the idea that the soul lives forever, which we are aligned with Abrahamic tradition and with Hinduism. But we also are aligning ourselves that souls always existed. And that's where we actually split from the Abrahamic tradition. We go more toward Eastern philosophies. And so you can see that somewhere along the line, even though unity traditionally speaks through the Christian lens, it actually has a lot of Eastern flavors, especially in the core belief and what it is all about. So those of you who were trying to get out of the question, you're absolutely right. <laughs> it's somewhere along the line, right? Let me tell you another story. Um, <clears throat> well over 30 years ago by now, I, I got into uh, something that's called past life regressions. Have you ever heard that? Okay. So past life regressions, I kind of like got into it for myself. I had a lot of pain and a lot of worries, and I wanted to figure out, you know, what's going on, because obviously my life is so perfect. It must have been something from the past before my life and so on. And I got into lots of different lifetimes, and if you've ever done something like that, you know what I'm talking about. I got so interested in it so that I learned how to do it myself to then do it with others, and I was leading for a couple of years in my late teens and early 20s. I was leading past life regressions. And it was really, really interesting to see, especially once I got to the point of actually being able to lead others 
into these experiences, how powerful it can be to tap into one of those soul stories. And back then, I was absolute believer in, you know, reincarnations, and I've been a king, and I've been a shaman. And ever, ever, ever noticed that when you do past life regressions, you're always a king or a shaman or something? <laughs> I've never been a house how, uh, a butler or something like that. I've never been just a, a, a clerk or something. I've always been something big. And um, which is fine, because in the end, what really matters is the experience, right? It's the experience that someone gets when they get into one of those stories and then really come out with something meaningful for them in that moment. Where they can make a connection with some pain that they may experience now to something that may have happened a long, long time ago. In the end, what matters is the here and now, isn't it? If we get healing in the here and now, does it really matter where it's coming from? Does it even matter whether the story is true? It really doesn't because if the healing is happening in the moment, then we bring that into the moment. We bring the soul story, that which is so far more than who and what we usually are, into the moment and tap into a way of being healed. So when we think of soul, it's more than just the body. It's more, whether we believe in reincarnation or not, than just time. It's something that is much bigger, and many of us will probably agree that we'll live on while our body will just stay and go back to dust. So how about spirit? It's a little pop quiz. How many of you believe spirit is the exact same thing as the soul? Raise hands. Okay, a couple of you. How many of you believe that the spirit is not the same thing as the soul? A few more. I would say that's the majority, right? Again, we got to be careful here. It all depends on where we're coming from. It all depends on how we are looking at these ideas. So when we look at the Bible, for example, the Christian scripture, look at the Greek. The word, the Greek word for soul is suke or suke, and it means breath, life, the soul as an essence which differs from the body and is not dissolved by death. That's what the meaning of the word means when it's translated into the English version of the Bible as soul. Let's look at spirit, pneuma, the disposition or influence which fills and governs the soul of any one. So what do you think? Soul and spirit, same or different? Probably different, right? According to the Greek definition of the word as we find it in the Bible and in other scriptures. So then the spirit influences the soul. The spirit is giving us something 
that we then take on as a soul. When we look at Charles Fillmore, our co-founder, how he defines soul, he says, person is spirit, soul, and body. The body is soul expressing, and the body is the outer expression of the soul. Now, as you know, Charles can be a little cryptic here, so let's try to define this a little more simply. So we have spirit with a capital S, which you know in unity matters. Spirit means with capital S is infinite potential and possibility. And then we have spirit with a small s, and it's just right where soul is. That's the same infinite potential, but just used in the way we do. We use that God spirit in every moment in a different way. So we then notate it as a small s spirit. So those of you who said soul is exactly the same as spirit probably think of spirit as how we experience God, experience the infinite potential through our nervous system, through our body, through our soul. And so as such, it's equated as soul. But those who think of spirit as different than soul may think of spirit as something even bigger than that, undefinable, infinite, can't put a finger on it, can't put God in a box, right? And then that all together goes into the body. So God then, spirit, is God as principle, infinite potential and possibility. And then spirit and soul is how we ideate. It's kind of like a technical term in metaphysics. But that means how we think and feel about God. The way we think about God, and the way we feel about God, the way we think about ourselves in relationship to God, the way we think and feel about ourselves as expressions of Christ and God, that's all in the spirit soul in the middle. And the way we do that matters because that's how we manifest. Make sense? That's how we create the body. Can you imagine the way I think and feel about God creates this body? It's amazing, right? I must have pretty good feelings about God. Look how big my body is. So there you go. So it must have something to do with that. We all have that, right? We all have an idea what God is unless we just totally do not believe in the idea of God. But in unity, we believe we have access in this infinite potential at all times. And the way we think and feel about it matters in the way we act in what we do. Spirit, capital S Spirit, God, infinite potential, and our relationship to spirit and soul, how we understand it, is essentially what is meant by God's true name in Exodus. I am that I am. First I am is capital S spirit. The second I am is us. Unity's first and second principle, oneness. And that creates the body.
On Friday, some of you know that Elaine and I like to go to the symphony. And uh, on Friday, we had another excellent program, the symphony. And uh, I brought the program here because I, I wanted to share this with you because Larissa was there too, our music director. Her husband, uh, Eugene, he plays in the, in the symphony. Always a pleasure. And it was an, an excellent program. We had Strauss, we had Tchaikovsky, and then we had some form of a modern interpretation of, the, of a composer. And it was just before the intermission. It was 17 minutes long. And I have no better word than cacophony that comes to mind <laughs> to what's been played. And it was really, when you go there, because you're a lover of classical music, that has been quite a stretch to actually stay put in your seat and not walk out, right? And yet, I was sitting there and thinking, this is just strange. This is so odd. This is not something I consider pleasurable. But then I started focusing on the two main individuals. First of all, the person to the left, his name is Stanislav Janishev. Yeah, Stanislav, let's call him Stanislav. He plays the clarinet. And then to the right was a uh, opera singer, Kevin Burdett. Chernyshov. They were both excellent. And the orchestra was excellent. I mean, I'm telling you, cacophony to the greatest degree, what, how much it took for that orchestra to stay in tune or untune or non-tune, to actually stay with the rhythm, to stay with the opera singer, stay with the clarinet and all that. It took enormous skill. And then it came to me that spirit... God has inspired Strauss, inspired Tchaikovsky, and inspired the composer of that cacophony equally. Because all of them had the exact same availability of all infinity. They were all responsible for putting the notes next to each other the way they chose to create whatever they chose to create. Just because we don't like it doesn't mean it doesn't originate in God. Just because we may miss the point that the composer tried to make doesn't mean it has its original idea in what we believe is our divinity. So then my point is that the person who played the clarinet, absolutely wonderful, beautiful, so even though we're part of a cacophony sometimes, we may still be perfect in what we do. And it's also a lesson, it was a lesson for me to just sit there for 17 minutes and pick the things I appreciated about the entire piece, even though the piece kind of was revolting to me. I was, I was really trying to get away, and yet I was fascinated by those individuals that 
played this piece. And isn't life exactly the same way? Isn't life sometimes like a cacophony where we just go, I'm really not happy right now with what's going on in my life. Haven't you had that before? Like, here is my cacophony in my life. Arguing with your husband or your wife or your partner. Cacophony, right? And yet, if we take a moment to be silent, and to be responsible and to be present, we always, always, always find something to be grateful for, don't we? Because we can. So whenever we look at life and we don't like it, it's an opportunity to pick out the people that we still may enjoy, even though the whole piece may not be the way we appreciate it. So then, why does it all matter? And I'm just finishing up here before our meditation just with a few ideas that I want to leave you with. It matters because the more we are aware we are of our ability to shape, the more we are aware of our ability to shape and reshape our lives, the soul and body, the more we are willing to take charge. That's our responsibility. If we're not aware that we can shape and reshape our lives, what are we going to do? We're going to stay a spiritual couch potato, right? But if we are aware that we can do something about it, then we're taking responsibility for it and we start changing things. It also matters that we shall not hope, ask, plea, nor wishfully think, but claim, claim who and what we are. The who is the soul and the body. The what is spirit. And we claim our soulful spirit, which is today's title, for the goodness to be expressed righteously in this world. We all have access to the same goodness. There's no badness. There's only goodness. We all have access to the exact same thing, and we get to express it the way we choose. By learning to claim that ability, we actually get to learn to be responsible and get off the spiritual couch, potato couch, and start moving ahead. So the more we claim what is, the less we are willing to remain passive. Right? Passivity is the death of any spiritual growth. We must become active. God is... And therefore, we are the activity for that. So I hope that answers Adrian's question. <laughs> I get the thumbs up. And uh, let us move into a hopefully not cacophony of meditation. Say again. Oh, I don't even know why. It's the opposite of harmony, I understand. So let us move into harmony.
So let us allow to come together as a community and bring to our hearts and minds the people in Ukraine. Let us turn off the news in our, the back of our minds, turn off the articles that we read. Let us move away from our opinions, our convictions, and become present in the here and now, innocently, and without attachment. This very moment is pure and gives us an opportunity to tap into spirit. Whatever we name we give, whether it's spirit or God or universe or nature, does not matter in the slightest. What matters is how we relate. So as we breathe in, we may find in this moment that infinite potential and possibility available to all of us. And as we do so, we let go of the outer world. And just as the Dalai Lama suggested, we are finding the peace unrelated to that outer world. We're turning within and dig deep and allow the moment to come alive. And with that comes peace. We take the way we relate to spirit and God and the universe. We embrace the soul that we are. No matter how many lifetimes, no matter how many mistakes, right now we're complete. So we allow this complete completeness to come forth. We allow the peace to be present. And as we do with anything else in our lives, we settle in and take a leap of faith as we take the peace that passes all understanding and extend it first to ourselves and our loved ones and our friends and families. But then we don't stop. We resonate together, allow it to flow, allow it to grow, allow it surpass time and space.
We expand it so much that nothing stands in the way, no mountains, no oceans, no countries, no borders. We wish the peace that we experience right now upon all. The people in Ukraine, those fighting for peace around the world, Find that harmony in the entire universe, right here and right now. We allow the silence to unfold. We allow the peace to remain. We do so in gratitude, knowing that we find those moments in our lives that are meaningful for us. And as we settle in with some beautiful music, as we come out of our meditation, Remember and know that the peace that we just experienced will remain with all of us forever. And so it is. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. You just heard this week's message and meditation. For the live streams and more information, go to unityfortworth.org.